Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 156. I want to thank you for taking the time to join me on this episode. I pray that it's a blessing. I want to just give a, a quick and specific hello to uh, a, f- a few countries that have really been uh, tuning in significantly. Uh, so I want to say hello to those listening in India, uh, those in the United Kingdom, and Canada as well. I, I thank you all. Um, now there's there's more of you all spread across, but I just want to take a moment to to say a special hello and uh, thank you for taking the time to join me uh, week after week. And I pray that uh, what God gives me through this um, is a is a big blessing to you. And so I just want to thank you. So today I am going to be teaching on something that's very important and something that's very biblical. This is titled, Baptism in the Spirit. So if you're in a place where you can, I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. Now we will be reading in verses 1 through 7. So we'll just have a word of prayer before we begin. Father, I thank you for your love and your mercy, your goodness and your kindness. I thank you that through your Son, Jesus, you have made us children. You have made us heirs with Christ. I thank you that you are multiplying this across the whole of the earth. I thank you that you are giving us ears to hear, a heart to see, to feel, to touch. I pray that you move me out of the way that Holy Spirit would do that which only He can do. I thank you for what you're doing and what you will do. Give us ears to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we've made our way to chapter 19 of Acts, we'll be reading in verses 1 through 7. And In this teaching, I will be teaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and how believers may not yet have experienced this baptism. So let's begin reading. Acts chapter 19, verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in, or into, the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, 
and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about twelve men in all. So here we find Paul the Apostle coming into Ephesus. And prior to this, in chapter 18, we can read that Apollos, who was a native of Alexandria, spent time in Ephesus where he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. Now that's a wonderful compliment to teach accurately the things concerning Jesus. I hope that could be said for each one of us. But notice that Apollos knew only the baptism of John. Now, what is the baptism of John? Well, Paul answers that question to the Ephesus disciples in verse 4 of chapter 19. John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. So, Apollos from chapter 18, who we read was eloquent, competent in the scriptures, instructed in the way of the Lord, fervent in the spirit, one who spoke and taught accurately things concerning Jesus, this Apollos only knew John's baptism. Now the same is true for these 12 Ephesian disciples in chapter 19. John water baptized people in the river, exhibiting an outward cleansing of what occurred internally. You are surrendered, you are dead and buried and raised to life, cleansed and new in Jesus Christ. But perhaps the greatest immersion John can claim is instructing people to turn from their own ways and behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John pointed the way to Jesus. Now, Apollos and these Ephesian disciples acknowledge that all they yet have is what John offered. Paul knew there was more. Priscilla and Aquila knew there was more because they heard Apollos and, quote, took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So Paul's first question to the Ephesian disciples was, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, a careful examination of Paul's question should lead you to discover that Paul's question is to believers. Now, why would I think that? Paul said, when you believed. So how are we saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So notice the Bible also called them disciples in verse 1. And Paul says, quote, when you believed. These are Ephesian believers. We should then ask the question, how would the Ephesians know they received the Holy Spirit? 
there must be an outward sign so as to recognize they have received. Otherwise, they could respond as, we aren't sure. But instead, they say, no. What's more, they have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Now, going back again to the idea of salvation, when you get saved, the stipulation for salvation isn't believe in the Holy Spirit. It is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. What that tells us is that one can be saved even lacking insight that there is a Holy Spirit. These Ephesian believers had not yet received the Holy Spirit. Yet. Now, you may be asking, how could they be saved yet be lacking receipt of the Holy Spirit? And that is a great question. Here is how I believe the Bible to answer that question. If you can, turn with me to John chapter 20, starting in verse 19. And that says, On the evening of that day, which is the day Jesus resurrected, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now notice a couple things here. First, Jesus breathes on them. Now John, who's writing, is subtly tying us back to creation yet once again. When God breathed the breath of life and man became a living being, it was the Spirit of God being breathed into man. Now these disciples excluding Thomas in this moment, received the Holy Spirit with breath. Now, breath is something you take in, you breathe in. This signifies the internalization of the Holy Spirit. This demonstrates the place where the abiding internal presence of the Holy Spirit comes within believers. There's still, though, an additional encounter with the Holy Spirit. And you may guess it, Acts 2, 1 through 4. And it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound, like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Notice, the tongues as of fire rested on each one. The operative word is on. 
there is the internal abiding presence of Holy Spirit given within the regenerated heart. But there is a baptism in the Holy Spirit where the Spirit comes upon. This is what Paul was asking of the Ephesian believers. Have you received the Holy Spirit? They were believers, of course. The Holy Spirit indwelled them, but they did not receive or even know of the Holy Spirit coming upon them. So this realization pushes us to what Paul does next, starting Back again in verse 5, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. We can't help but acknowledge that when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. That's clearly in our Bibles. Why did it happen or work that way? Not sure. But that's how it happened. That's not the only place where we find the Holy Spirit coming when hands are laid upon a person. In Acts 8, 14-17, we read, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So here again we see that the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen on a certain area and on a certain people. We also see that Peter and John, the disciples, they laid their hands on these believers and the Holy Spirit came upon them. Notice that these believers had been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, whereas Apollos and the Ephesians had received John the Baptist's baptism. Now, For any who may have thought that they hadn't received Jesus yet. This group in Samaria specifies that they had been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, which takes out any doubt that they may not have been believers. We also see in Acts chapter 9 that Saul, who currently Paul, gets Ananias sent to him by Jesus to lay hands on Saul Why? For his sight to be restored and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the laying on of hands isn't the only way the Holy Spirit comes upon someone. In Acts 10, 44-48, we read, While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? 
and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. So here, Peter was preaching the word, and the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Now this variation in how the Holy Spirit comes upon or falls upon a person tells us that it isn't formulaic. So I may have presented this sufficiently to satisfy your mind. You may hear and read these scriptures and find that you are agreeable to the biblical precedent. But you may have yet to be satisfied in the place of desire. Now, this teaching may have yet to hit you in the heart. You may ask, why should I desire this baptism in the Holy Spirit? Why should I seek this thing out? Perhaps at one point in time, you didn't even realize it was available. Now, I will not promise you that being baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues will cause you to live a more victorious life. In fact, I have seen too many Spirit-baptized and tongue-speaking people who walk in more dysfunction than some who have yet to receive. There's plenty of dysfunction in both camps. While this encounter in itself is not a guarantee for victorious life, what I can affirm is that a baptism in the Holy Spirit will shift the way you engage in your spiritual life. You come to a place of encountering something or rather someone greater than yourself, which gives you the grace to appreciate the realness of your faith all these words to say that this baptism in the Spirit will make the Spirit of God more real and more intimate to you than you've ever known. Now we see this baptism in the Spirit presented in the sacred texts of Scripture. So we should believe in the authenticity of it. If we allow ourselves to conclude that this is no longer relevant, then any difficult texts, or for that matter, any that you don't agree with, you could come to the conclusion through scriptural gymnastics that they are not for us. Do you see the danger of such conclusions? Now, of course, there are some who manipulated, abused, or took advantage of being baptized in the Spirit. Any good thing can be replicated, can be manipulated and distorted. The most effective deception is the truth mixed with lie. Because of the error of some, many have thrown out the whole, and we do ourselves a great disservice. Now, God has made it laid out plainly for us to see in Scripture, but fear keeps us out. If you ask for bread, your father will not give you a stone. If you ask for a fish, you will not receive a serpent, because your heavenly father will all the more give you good gifts to his children when they ask. 
Now, this leads us to our final point. How do we receive the baptism in the Spirit? Ask and receive. In Luke eleven thirteen, we just quoted, Jesus tells us himself, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Ask him. There's a second part. Remember in our previous reading of Acts 8.17 and that Peter and John was sent to Samaria because the Spirit had not yet fallen on any of them. It said they then, Peter and John, laid their hands on them and they, that's the believers, received the Holy Spirit. Receive is part two. You ask and receive. That word receive in the Greek is in the active voice. Now, this is very important to realize grammatically. Luke wrote the book of Acts by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and words matter. So lay hold of this because it may liberate some of you from misconception on this topic of baptism in the Spirit. Now, they received the Holy Spirit. The Greek word received is in the active voice. A Greek verb has three voices, active, middle, and passive. The active voice is used when the subject of the sentence is the agent of the action described in the verb. The middle voice denotes that the subject is both an agent of the action and somehow concerned with the action. The passive voice is used to show that the subject of the verb is acted on. So in general, in active voice, the subject is doing the action. In middle voice, the subject is both doing and receiving the action. And in passive voice, the subject is receiving the action. Now, this passive voice is how I think many in the body of Christ think about the Holy Spirit, that he just acts upon and that's final. Now, that's not always the case. And in fact, in our text, Luke takes great care to show that in the voice construction of his word choice, it's active voice. The subject of the sentence, they, is the agent of the action described in the verb. They didn't passively sit back and let the Spirit happen upon them. They took hold. They didn't let someone pour a drink in their mouth. They took the glass and turned it up to drink. It's active voice. So let me give you just an illustration to consider. This is the three examples of receiving an apple. So let's for a moment consider you have active, middle, and passive. These are three individuals, active, middle, and passive. And they have an apple. And each one interacts with you. So you have 
passive, okay? This individual takes the apple and puts it in your hand. You received an apple. It was a passive receipt. You did no action. It was placed in your possession. You received an apple. Okay, now middle voice. This middle voice person, they reach out their apple to give to you and you reach out and take the apple. There is both, it's both an active and a passive. Now, in the active voice, this active voice person has an apple, but you reach out your hand and you take possession of the apple. This is active. So they took the apple. All their examples, you received an apple, but do you see the difference between it? And this active voice is the way, is the construction that Luke chose for writing received. Many people get the impression that the Spirit of God will just encounter them like a puppet on strings. Many people think speaking in tongues is just the loss of your own faculty of speech and God moves your mouth with His hands. Now, while God can certainly do anything that He wants, this is not how it typically happens. How could Paul even make the boastful claim of, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you in 1 Corinthians 14, 18? If it was just a matter of him losing control of his mouth. No, speaking in tongues is controlled, it's willed, and it's powerful. Paul tells the Corinthian church, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. That's 1 Corinthians 14, 2. And then again in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says again, the one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. And then Paul says again in 1 Corinthians 14, 5, I want you all to speak in tongues. So using biblical language... And, def and definitions, speaking in tongues is speaking directly to God. Speaking in tongues builds you up. And Paul encourages everyone to speak in tongues. We shouldn't be fearful of it. So, I've imparted all I can impart by teaching. Next must come by way of encounter and experience. The first and the last, by teaching and encounter, these two must be done by way of the Holy Spirit. So I just want to make space for you, listening now, wherever you may find yourself, Reflecting on what this teaching has taught, what it has imparted. Being baptized in the Holy Spirit is an experience for believers. 
and it is beyond the place or beyond the action of the indwelled spirit of God in the regenerated heart of a believer. And so if you find yourself drawn to this experience, to this encounter, remember it's not it's not a promise of victory in every situation. There's still dysfunction that we have to work and navigate our way through by the, the perfect leadership of Jesus, by the submitted heart, the yielded self-will to, to God's desire. But it will transform the way we interact in our spiritual life, making the Spirit of God more real to us. So it's simply ask and receive. Just ask and receive. We receive salvation by faith. We receive the Spirit of God coming upon us by faith as well. Now there are, there can be outward manifestations of this encounter. It can be varying in degrees, it can be significant, or it could be unnoticeable. Don't let don't let the manifestation of the experience dictate or determine whether or not you received. And some we see throughout Scripture that when there was a baptism in the Spirit, where the Spirit came upon, there was speaking in tongues and prophesying. And some who receive even by faith, this baptism in the Spirit, some will instantly receive this gift of tongues, and some it will come later. Because neither I nor Paul nor any man can baptize you in the Spirit. John the Baptist said that he who's, uh, he is unworthy to carry his sandals it is he who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the baptizer. So I would encourage you, if you feel a draw to encounter this baptism in the Spirit, then ask Jesus, who is our great baptizer, to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And as he comes upon you, whether you feel it or you don't, continue, whether you speak in tongues or don't, continue to seek in fervency this gift of the Holy Spirit, this gift of tongues, because we know and can now see both to be very biblical. They didn't stop. They've not paused. It's still available, and it's still it's still a blessing to you and still to be received in the body of Christ. So I would encourage you, just in the privacy of wherever you are, ask and receive. If it means that I'm close to you, I would trade a million lifetimes for a moment here with you. And in your house I hold